Sup, nerds! This is In My Expert Opinion, a podcast about the nonfiction side of speculative fiction. Your hosts are Dr. Marcus Cole. I'm technically a scientist. Sarah Ward. I'm a scientist in progress. And me, Abby Cole. I'm not a scientist at all. Join us as we geek out about the made-up stuff we love and the real stuff that shaped it. Today we're going to be talking about The Hobbit and the origins of dragons. Tell us more about these giant scaly creatures. Yeah, for sure. So I guess first let's jump into The Hobbit. Abby, I know you're familiar with The Hobbit. Marcus, what's your like familiarity level with The Hobbit? Oh man, um, tried to read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings in like middle school and just sure. couldn't. Don't know why, just wasn't that interested. Um, I'll tell you why. It's because Tolkien is actually like an extremely bland writer. It's so dry. The Hobbit is okay. The Hobbit, I think, is fine. Yeah, I just feel like Tolkien's world building is spectacular, but like the actual writing is, I don't know, it like leaves something to be desired. But basically, I'll just go ahead and summarize The Hobbit then really fast. Um, so it was published in 1937 by J.R.R. Tolkien. This was like the first of his Lord of the Rings books. It wasn't really conceived as such to begin with, but basically it is like the prequel, right? So basically it's a children's book. Um, it follows the hobbit Bilbo Baggins. Um, he goes with the wizard Gandalf and the dwarf king Thorin Oakenshield and Thorin's 12 dwarf companions. Um, and they're going to go reclaim their homeland, uh, the Lonely Mountain. How many uh, dwarf companions can you name from memory? How many can you name from memory? <laughs> Okay, so uh, Oin, Gloin, Nori, Dory, Ori, Feely, Keely, uh, Dwalin, Balin, Bomber, Bofer, Biffer, all of them. Holy shit. Is that all of them? <laughs> I mean, I know it's 12. I, I was 12. I counted. Yeah. He has 12 companions. Are you certain that they're all correct? Uh, Yes. <laughs> With all <laughs> the certainty in the world. Awesome. <laughs> Are you fact-checking me? I'm not fact-checking you, no. The listeners will fact-check you. I'm I believe you. Because yeah, if it's if anybody's a Tolkien expert, it's it's uh Sarah Ward. What do you you have a Tolkien tattoo? Yes. And have subjected, I mean, enthralled me with many an uh-huh. evening mm-hmm. of Silmarillion lore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um anyway, so they're they're going to go reclaim their homeland, the Lonely Mountain. Uh, and its vast treasure from the dragon Smaug. So on the way, they, you know, they meet some trolls, they meet some elves, they, like, encounter goblins in the mountains, uh, Bilbo finds the One Ring during this journey, um, and eventually they reach Lake Town, a human settlement by the Lonely Mountain. Uh, so Bilbo sneaks into the mountain to speak with the dragon. He's, like, trying to learn of his weak spot, and the whole kind of conversation is, like, kind of speaking in riddles to each other. Bilbo's invisible, the dragon's trying to figure out who he is, um, Bilbo's, like, trying to find this, like, Arkenstone, uh, a stone of, like, you know, really great significance to Thorin's family, he's trying to figure out how to kill Smaug, but basically, uh, the conversation goes kind of sour, and Smaug goes and, like, destroys Lake Town, um, before he's killed, uh, with an arrow to a weak spot on his chest. Um, the book at this point kind of takes, like, a wild turn, so Thorin, like, succumbs to this, like, gold sickness, um, the greed of, like, being around this treasure hoard, uh, it causes him to separate from Bilbo, and then Gandalf shows up and is like, hey guys, a bunch of goblins are on their way, and it turns into this, like, wild battle of, like, humans, elves, dwarves, and eagles versus goblins and wargs. 
And then Bilbo uh, makes amends with Thorin right before he dies. And then Bilbo goes home with only a small portion of his share of the treasure. So actually, like, the dragon part isn't, like, the major climax of the book. Huh. Sweet. So I guess I, I never actually really saw any of the Hobbit movies. Were they pretty close to They're the book? Bad. I, I heard they were bad, but I don't really have any kind of, like, reference. The problem is that it's a children's book and trying to stretch it out across three movies is, like, foolish. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the movie industry is just kind of, like, has diluted a lot of series just for the sake of like making a lot of money it's like oh we can just break up this one story and do at least a trilogy i think especially because like the battle of the five armies is the major climactic part of the book but the movies turn it into this like spectacle right of like a fight scene when the fact of the matter is that bilbo was knocked unconscious for most of the fight and tolkien himself was like so anti-war it seems like a huge slap in the face to me to like make that like a three-hour phenomenon you know what i mean like just the fight oh to like emphasize that part yeah exactly it's like well that's kind of shitty right like that kind of goes against the whole thing anyway so smaug is like the dragon right there are i guess i wanted to first touch on like dragons in tolkien lore um, so basically, they're also called great worms. There are They were created by Melkor, this like primordial source of evil. This is like Sauron's leader. And so these dragons were first created by uh, Melkor to fight against like the elves and humans. Uh, the first was called Glaurong, the uh, father of dragons. He was wingless, but he could breathe fire. Another major dragon would be um, Encalagon. This is uh, the first of the winged dragons, also fire breather. Uh, Smaug was basically just the last great dragon of Middle-earth. Um, also winged fire drake. Um, Tolkien mentions some like cold drakes, but he doesn't really go into detail on them. Cold. Yeah, they just like live in the frozen wasteland of the north, I guess. Do they breathe fire too or are they like ice dragons? Like they breathe just like ice storm from their mouth. I actually have no idea. I don't actually know if in the Silmarillion he like talks about what they do, really. Got it. He just like mentions one of them by name. What was it? Elgarov? Skatha? Skatha? Skatha. Oh. Skatha. <laughs> oh, the, one, the other one you were talking about was the fire dragon. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Yeah. So like, here's like the description of Smaug from The Hobbit. There he lay, a vast red gold dragon, fast asleep. Thrumming came from his jaws and nostrils and wisps of smoke, but his fires were low in slumber. Beneath him, under all his limbs and his huge coiled tail, and about him on all sides stretched away across the unseen floors, lay countless piles of precious things, gold wrought and unwrought, gems and jewels, and silver red stained in the ruddy light. Smaug lay with wings folded like an immeasurable bat, turned partly on one side, so that the hobbit could see his underparts and his long, pale belly, crusted with gems and fragments of gold from his long lying on his costly bed. Damn. So basically just like a European picture of a dragon. Smog's living good, man. I like a immeasurable bat. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be laying on like a just mounds of gold. It's a good life. It's straight up, right? <laughs> Fucking Scrooge McDuckett. <laughs> Maybe he knows a nice alchemist that hooked him up with all that gold. Ooh. <laughs> throwback. Ryan. All a right. Throwback. Let's all go. All comes full circle. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> just like a transmutation <laughs> Um, yeah, so, like, that's basically it. There's really not that much to the dragon stuff in Tolkien lore. Um, I mean, they're, like, greedy, intelligent. They have this, like, dragon spell thing, this, like, hypnotic power of their words. Some had wings, some didn't. But, you know, they're, like, pretty standard fare. Mm-hmm. 
I will say that Tolkien very specifically liked this Norse or like German story about a dragon named Fafnir and like based uh, Smaug especially, but like all of his dragons on this like concept of a dragon from this uh, folklore. When you say Norse or German, are you talking like far back enough that it's just like a, a Germanic group of people that doesn't exist anymore? Well, all I know is that he's called Sigurd in Norse poems and Siegfried in German. Rad. And he's from like the poetic Ada, which is like the early, what, 10 to 1200s yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Uh, the Volsunga Sega or Saga or whatever, um, and the Nibelungen Lied, uh, which is a Germanic version. I, I have wow, no concept you, of history. You, you uh, fucking powered through that Nibelungen Lied really <laughs> comfortably. That was really cool. No, Did I say super it right? smooth. I think so, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I like was having to look up all these pronunciation videos because I was like looking at the word and going, I can't do this. I have no idea what this is. Sarah Ward, Master of Linguistics. Yeah, I think a close approximation will cut it. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so that's, I guess I'm moving on from The Hobbit pretty quickly, but I kind of wanted to touch on this like Sigurd and Fafnir story and then jump into like the origins of dragons in the real world. You know what I mean? All the real dragons. Like the real life dragons, the real ones. Yeah, real dragons. I know exactly what you mean. You can go see them at the zoo all the time. Yeah, absolutely. My sister had a Rankin's dragon growing up, which is like a miniature bearded dragon. That's what I have to contribute about dragons. Nice. Uh, he was really bad at hunting crickets. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, he was really sad. Um, yeah, so just like really touching on one more just like a uh, story because this was the inspiration for Smaug and the Hobbit. Um, so Fafnir was this dragon he was referring to, um, but originally Fafnir was a dwarf. He was one of three sons to a dwarf king. One day, the gods Odin, Loki, and Hynir came by the family home. They like killed an otter on the river. An otter? They like killed an otter, right? And then the dwarf king was like, actually, that was my son, you son of a bitch. So he held <clears throat> the gods hostage and Loki was sent to go get treasure to like pay him back for his dead son. But Fafnir was like, I want all of this. So he killed his dad to keep the treasure for himself. And he ran away with it and eventually was like so overcome with this like greed that he turned into a dragon. One of Fafnir's brothers, Regan. Regan? It's R-E-G-I-N. Oh, okay. Regan? Regan? Is it, are we talking German or Norse at this point? It's both. It's both. Got Regen. it. We're going to talk so much about old Germanic languages next week, so don't even worry <laughs> okay, about good, it. Okay, good, good, good. Um, yeah, so basically, he was like, uh, I hate this. So he sent his foster son, Sigurd, to go kill the dragon. Uh, he told Sigurd to dig trenches in the ground and wait for the dragon to pass overhead as he went to go drink water so that uh, he could stab his sword into Fafnir's heart through his like soft underbelly. Yeah. And so Sigurd did this, um, but as he was dying, Fafnir was like, the treasure will be your death. You should leave and never come back. Um, it turns out that Sigurd's foster father wanted to um, take the treasure for himself, but Sigurd fortunately had already already consumed some of Fafnir's blood after he died. Um, and so he learned the language of animals and the birds told him that his foster father was going to kill him. So then he cut off his head and left with the treasure. Wait, who cut off whose head? Sorry, Sigurd cut off his foster father's head and left with the treasure. Rad. As you do. As you do. <laughs> and then did he get greedy and turn into a dragon? I don't know. He went on and did some other stuff. I didn't read any more of his story. Yeah, that, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a dragon. I was really interested in the dragon and then I got kind of bored when the dragon was dead. Mm, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. You got the important parts. It's about the dragon. Yeah. So basically, that's all I have to say about like dragon stuff as it relates to the Hobbit. And now I'm just going to talk about the real life dragons, like the ones that, as Marcus said, we see in the zoo. Fuck yeah. 
Um, so the word dragon comes from uh, an ancient Greek word, draken, uh, which is like a giant sea fish or a serpent. Uh, this turned into the Latin, like, dragon. Hang on. What's up? When you say a giant sea fish, as opposed to like a not sea fish, like a land fish. Well, it's referring to like a monstrosity of the ocean. Sure. Okay. It just it just felt a little redundant. This is like to a me, river all fish. Sea fish. Oh, right. Fuck. I forgot fish about also rivers. Exist elsewhere. <laughs> and lakes. Freshwater fish. Yeah. Y'all, I forgot about rivers <laughs> and lakes. Wow. So <laughs> fresh water versus salt water. Yeah, so that became the Latin uh, Draco, which is like a huge serpent or dragon, uh, which then became the old French dragon, and that went to English in the 13th century. Ta-da! In the 13th century? Yep. Interesting. So that's like the first time people were like writing down like the word dragon in- In English specifically. Uh, Yeah, hmm. so- this uh this American writer and poet uh Georges McHargue uh she wrote this book in the late eighteen in the late eighties uh called the Beasts of Never and she wrote that the dragon is the oldest the first the most basic monster. It's so basic. It's so basic. <laughs> but like we actually really see dragons like across the world, right? They appear in like all cultures, like all geographical regions, all time periods. Every single person has like this like dragon myth, basically. Mm-hmm. So like in Europe, this is like the large scaled like like smog, right? Like winged, fire breathing, usually evil, that kind of connotation. Mm-hmm. But in China, you have like the lung, which is like uh, the snake-like with four legs. It's connected to water. It usually has like really positive associations, like power and strength. Mm-hmm. I was born in the year of the dragon. Ooh, nice. What's up? Oh. <laughs> Flex. <laughs> power and strength. Uh, if you look at um, Mesoamerica, there is the uh, the feathered serpent god, uh, Quetzalcoatl. Um, if you look at Mesopotamia, there's Tiamat, the primordial goddess of the sea. Tiamat is the name of a dragon in D&D. Yes, that's where they got it from. She's oh. the five-headed dragon in D&D based on the Mesopotamian primordial goddess of the sea, usually depicted as a serpent or a dragon who also gave birth to serpents or dragons. Amazing. Is this like the origins of like the Hydra too? Like the multi-headed dragon-ish looking thing? Yeah, a lot of like the Greco-Roman dragons are more associated with like water and serpents and sea monsters specifically. Mm-hmm. As opposed to river monsters. As opposed to river monsters. monsters. Other bodies of water. Uh, I guess I don't really know if you would categorize the Hydra as a dragon or not. I feel like you should, but I don't know. I'm not like... Yeah, I feel like the whole designation, the classification system for dragons is fairly arbitrary anyway. Yes? Yeah, I mean, it's basically serpent kind of things. Yeah, mythical serpent. Uh, yeah, and then if you look at um, different African tribes, uh, in Egypt, there is uh, Apep, the god serpent of like darkness and chaos. The Dahomey people have Edowido. It's a rainbow serpent. I've actually seen this dragon depicted as both male and female. Basically, it's associated with the ocean. It consumes iron in the ocean, and when it runs out, it'll eat its own <laughs> tail and collapse the earth. That's really metal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A lot of other African dragons and serpents are also associated with water, not just oceans, lakes and rivers. (laughs) There's also uh, in the uh, Soninka and Fula tribes, uh, a great serpent called Bida. Um, This is kind of very similar to European dragons with the whole like it was offered maidens in exchange for something specifically for rain. But then obviously someone fell in love with one of these maidens and they killed the dragon and, you know, the end. Of course. I'm curious, did you find anything about why or like speculations about why in different regions it might be associated with like rocks and mountains versus, let's say, oceans and rivers? Yeah, so... Um, it's like really difficult to pinpoint the origins of dragons. One of the explanations sure. is symbols for natural phenomenons. 
or natural phenomena. Mm-hmm. So that might be why it's like more of a, a mountain versus like an ocean thing, depending on where you are geographically um, and what is Got important. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, if you're in an area where it doesn't rain very much, then like the water association maybe becomes stronger because it's more of a mm. once in mm-hmm. a once in a blue moon kind of thing, right? Like so, it has this like mythological uh, like concept to it. It does seem like I guess there's like this transition, like I guess in like dragon lore, from like the magical serpent that like can fly or can like create mountains from its body to like the dragons that you see in like like medieval lore of like these like winged scaly creatures. Is there like a reason that there was like this distinct shift to like more monstrous beings than these like wise mythical creatures that kind of create or like provide knowledge to people i don't really know if there's necessarily a reason or a shift in that the medieval ones are based off a lot of greco-roman dragons were evil Mm. and so then you have these like medieval depictions this is just speculation i would assume have a greater association with hell and satan and the devil um you have like a fire Mm. influence but like that's not linked geographically or culturally to like Chinese dragons. So there really was no transition from that like wise and powerful water association to like the evil medieval ones just because they kind of independently developed. Got it. Um, But yeah, some people are like, maybe all dragons have a common origin. Like there was one thing that made everybody think about dragons. It was God. It was God. Uh, Some people think it's like a fossil thing. You know, you see dinosaur bones and you're like, Uh, okay, okay, so what the fuck is this, right? Some people think it's like a psychological thing. Carl Jung thinks that dragons are archetypes uh, or these like universal symbols from the past uh, that are transmitted across generations as like an inherent property of the mind. Whoa. The idea that a dragon is an inherent property of the mind is pretty cool. Yeah. I can get behind that. And yeah. And so some people just think they're like symbols for natural phenomena. Like I said, like if you need water, then a dragon can be that thing, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just thought I'd like go through like four kind of major theories of uh, dragon origins and we could just like talk about what the hell these people were saying. Sweet. Sweet. Uh, cool. So so the first one is from Adrienne Mayer. She's a research scholar at Stanford University. Um, she does like history of ancient science. She does like classical folklore and stuff like that. Um, she thinks that dragons were inspired by fossils as well as natural creatures like the Komodo dragon or crocodiles. Makes sense. Yeah, so she wrote this book in 2001 called The First Fossil Hunters, Paleontology in Greek and Roman Times. Um, and she kind of like points out a bunch of stuff related to dragons. For example, Apollonius of Tiana, he went to like the Himalayas in the first century AD and allegedly found dragons of enormous size and variety that infested northern India. Whoa. It turns out that he was actually visiting uh, the Siwalik fossil beds, uh, where later scientists and archaeologists discovered large tusked elephants, uh, four horned giraffes, like saber toothed cats, and like all these like major fossil uh, beds in the area. That's wild. That's awesome. Did you say four horned giraffes? Yeah, it's, I don't really want to think about that, I guess. It sounds kind of terrifying, right? <laughs> no, but when you hear stuff like that, it's like, maybe there were things that looked pretty damn close to dragons. Right? Like, not, like, probably not fire breathing. Like, biologically, I don't even know how you do that, but something like with wings and scaly and big. Yeah. Not outside like, the realm like of Like a giraffe. <laughs> Dude, if I saw a four-horned giraffe, I'd be like, fuck, maybe they're warrior dragons, right? Or unicorns. Yeah. Okay, by definition, a four-horned thing would not be a unicorn. I know, but if you can have four, <laughs> if you've managed to figure out a way to four do this unicorns. four times, like, you I'm can saying, probably just get one horn. Yeah, if you can go from two to four <laughs> horns, you can probably go down, right? If you could double, you can have. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then also in 1590, they made this statue in 
Klagenfurt, Austria. Um, it's a statue of a dragon. It's cited as like the earliest known reconstruction of an extinct animal. They thought it was a dragon. It's called the Lindworm dragon or Lindworm. Um, but it turns out they actually modeled it on an Ice Age woolly rhinoceros skull. Uh. Incredible. Oh, see, there's your unicorn. <laughs> so they found this skull and they were like, oh my god, it's a dragon skull. And then it turns out oh, way later man. that it was actually just a rhinoceros skull. Do rhinos have one or two horns? Some have two, uh, don't they? Yeah, like they've got like their like one like dominant horn, but I think they can have like smaller ones as like yeah, the it goes, like, goes up the snout. Yeah. Oh, all right. I take back my unicorn comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I had a question for you. What's up? Is it like common, I guess, for like paleontologists are able to like accidentally construct something wrong and make it look like a mythical like being it's like oh we think we put these bones together kind of right i mean i'm sure that does happen (laughs) i think a major issue with paleontology is the fact that you can't construct like uh fat and stuff accurately and like skin and color so if you i feel like seen stuff of people being Mm. like this is like a hippo skeleton but you wouldn't know looking at the skeleton what a hippo looks like because like you can render it without all of the mass you know what i mean so i wouldn't be surprised if like True. some early paleontologists just like really royally fucked it up with how they were reconstructing yeah. this stuff and they looked like way more mythological than maybe they should have well i hope we're using our science now to kind of like do analysis on like bone and just like i guess stress analysis to be like this is the amount of like tissue and fat that could be supported by this skeleton versus like just guess and check yeah i guess i don't really know how that would work you should be able to look at that right like stress and stuff yeah, you would be breaking a lot of, I guess, like, you can make pseudo bones, like, based on, like, roughly the same density and be like, okay, when do these fail? Okay, this doesn't make sense for mass. And then, like, yeah, what's a, what's a pseudo bone? Fake oh, bone. just like any, yeah, fake bone. Is this an established thing or are you just describing, like, a, an, a hypothetical testing tool? No, you can make fake, you just need a scaffold to, like, make it. You just need, like, the calcium and then, I, I don't know, goes into, like, fake bone, but this isn't, like, a made up thing. Hmm. I see, I see. Weird. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to build a fucking unicorn then. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I don't like unicorns. Oh, interesting. Hot take. <laughs> it's, yeah, we'll get into it one day. If we ever come around to uni- unicorns, I will uh, tell you all about how I don't like unicorns. Sure. <laughs> um, so there was another theory developed by someone named David E. Jones. He was a professor of anthropology at the University of Central Florida. His whole thing was that dragons came from an innate fear of predators. So he basically wrote this book in 2000 called An Instinct for Dragons. And he was like, dragons are universal and the raptor, serpent, cat motif in the overall pattern of their image is easily recognized. He basically like looked at these monkeys in Africa, they're like vervet monkeys. And he was like, wow, they're attacked by snakes, eagles, and big cats. And he was like, so therefore all dragons appear because humans are scared of snakes, (laughs) big birds, and cats. And so that's what dragon is. (laughs) Okay. Just an amalgamation of all those three animals. It's like, dragon. Got it. (laughs) I don't... I actually... I know this is ludicrous. I understand that. I do get it. Like, I I get it. There's like... I mean, I guess. The the idea that there's like like an ingrained... I mean, it's just as much as like it being like an inherent construct of the mind or whatever. It's like Mm. the idea that there's some kind of ingrained fear or disgust by certain things based on like a predatory and prey thing i mean i guess making it into dragons is the next step yeah it's kind of a big leap i feel like is the problem yeah yeah 
But I mean, I guess like humans always do this with like a perceived predator and just like make it this like blown up outside of the realm of reality, like fearful thing. Like with like AI and technology, it's like, oh yeah, computers can like process stuff, but it's like Skynet, Terminator, the robots are taking over. Yeah, the Matrix like, is just, happening. Like cra- yeah, just like crazy leaps out of like fear. And it's like, okay, we got to build this up so that we can really be f- afraid of it. Yeah, no, that's fair. All of this has happened before. Yeah. And all of this will happen again. <laughs> sure. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so he wrote this book, and then a lot of people were like, this is dumb. A lot of dragons don't fit with this depiction, and also <laughs> ancestral fears aren't coded into the brain. That's pretty much all I- Like, Wait. everyone was just like, no. No. I actually okay. disagree, we, we said no. We reject your theory. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, whatever. Eh. But uh, speaking of psychological <laughs> stuff, so this guy, Joseph Campbell, he was- um. The myth of the, the the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell? Yeah, I think so. He was like a professor of literature at Sarah Lawrence College. He did like comparative mythology yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was considered like one of the world's foremost authorities in mythology. Turns out a lot of anthropologists did not like this guy. But basically his whole thing was like myth uh, describe the experience of living, not the meaning of life. Huh. All right. So he had this like... I, don't, I guess it was like an interview in The Power of Myth or like they like in The Power of Myth, this TV show in the late 80s, like played this interview that he was in. And he like insisted that dragons were uh, representative of greed. Uh, he said the European dragon guards things in his cave and what he guards are heaps of gold and virgins. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Oh, y- yeah, I know. Pause, that's what I was going to say. I feel like, uh, what's it called? Diagramming this sentence is going to be really important to understanding if he means heaps of gold and virgins. Or heaps of gold and heaps of virgins. Golds and virgins, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Presumably the former, right? So he's just sleeping on top of all of these virgins, just crushing them. Crushing them under his (laughs) leg. That's somebody's thing, man. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I'm kink shaming. (laughs) Oh my god. It's like all of you people down for smushing virgins with dragons. You, you're not welcome on this podcast. <laughs> if, if a person has got it, it's somebody's thing. Yeah, we're getting really off topic. We'll talk about that later. Okay, yeah, sorry, dragons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this guy was like, psychologically, the dragon is one's own binding of oneself to one's ego. And he was like, and you have fears and things and like, this is the dragon. And he was like, well, at least the European dragon. He basically was like, the dragon is your own fear and your own ego and the stuff you have to face within yourself. That's what the dragon was. Damn. Gotta battle your own demons. Apparently, yeah. He, like, pointed to the Sigurd myth as proof of this. He was like, Sigurd drank the dragon's blood. Uh, That is to say, he had to assimilate that power. And then he hears the song of nature, so he's, like, transcended humanity and reassociated himself with the powers of nature kind of thing. So he was saying, like, by killing this dragon and drinking his blood, he became a better person and transcended his own personhood kind of thing. Wild. Anyway, so that seems like a really wild take on dragons to me. And you said anthropologists or archaeologists don't like him? Yeah, I was reading some stuff about how, uh, how anthropologists basically were like, oh, this guy, like, way overgeneralizes. And um, generally people not liking this idea of archetypes archetypes or whatever in folklore because it's an overgeneralization of folklore and takes away from interesting. like individual stuff. Kind of mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I guess it depends. No, we'll probably talk about the hero's journey someday, so I'll shut up. <laughs> okay. Um, so the last origin I wanted to talk about was from 
a paper called The Origin of Dragons, uh, written by Robert Blust, a professor of linguistics at the University of Hawaii. Um, and he thought dragons were rainbows. Aww. He also wrote a book, uh, sorry, an article in 2019, which I'll also be referencing, uh, called Why Dragons Are Bisexual. Do you, okay, <laughs> bisexual can mean a lot of things. Yeah, he means male and female. Okay. Oh. So that that one. Basically, he argued that dragons evolved from rainbows. So they are, you said originally they are rainbows or they evolved from rainbows or it's like a sort of both? Like, he basically was like, dragons are the product of, uh, quoting him now, uh, rational pre-scientific speculation about the world of real events, in this case, the natural mechanisms governing rainfall and drought. So did, was he like an anthropological linguist? I think Does so. Does it say like what, yeah. how this was? Re- oh, okay, cool. Oh, okay. So he's not proposing that like rainbows evolved actually into like dragons. He's just like how yeah, this he's progressed. That in- people came <laughs> up with dragons because of rainbows. <laughs> Got it. That this sorry, guy is just had still, to clarify there. Yeah, <laughs> he probably would lose his job if that were the case. Yeah, no. I'm a linguistics professor, and here's my class on why dragons are real. <laughs> um, so he basically like had this whole argument of this article that like showed that in six discrete geographical regions with dragons. Um, so he used Europe, the Near East, India, the Far East, Mesoamerica, and North America. That's where he like broke it up. Mm. And he was like, a lot of them have these similarities, you know, a giver or withholder of rain, guardians of bodies of water, capable of flight, omens of catastrophe, they guard treasure. Um, And then he like broke down each one of these categories. There was like 26 categories. And he like broke them each down to like defend why he thought they were connected to rainbows. Interesting. So for example, the Y dragon guards treasure one. He was like, Chinese dragons are depicted with pearls, which frequently mm-hmm. have kind of a rainbow coloration on their surface because they're like iridescent mm. and then he said for european dragons as everyone knows gold is at the end of rainbows so yeah dragons yes. guard gold and therefore they're the rainbow at which there's gold at the end like that was his like huh. argument <laughs> how does this fit in with the whole leprechauns and pot of gold thing I honestly have no idea. I don't remember if he mentioned leprechauns or if he just conveniently ignored leprechauns. I Whoa. think he, I think the leprechauns has to be where he got this quote unquote, as everyone knows. I mean, right? it has to be. But then he just like decided to be like, fuck leprechauns. I'm talking about dragons, actually. Yeah, whatever. Listen, I mean, if you're, <laughs> I guess at some point it's like, <laughs> I don't know. It's like six of one and half a dozen of the yeah. other, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the other thing he had to say about that was, like, dragons breathe fire because in many societies uh, it was believed that the end of the rainbow is a place of spontaneous fire. And so he was like, dragons breathe fire. Rainbows are associated with the spontaneous fire at the end. Therefore, dragons are rainbows. All right. I don't want to be a hater. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm not a linguistic anthropologist. I may be missing something, but a lot of this sounds like confirmation bias to me. Oh, absolutely. That whole article, like, (laughs) super read as confirmation bias to me. I'm not a linguistics or an anthropologist person, but, like, the whole time I was like, bro, really? Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, I guess that's actually a really good illustration of probably what people were complaining about with Joseph Campbell, right? It's like, by trying to uh, create these artificial, like, connections and designations, you're sort of erasing the fact that these places are different and have different things going on. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. When he did this study, was there any kind of, like... Study's a bold word, Marcus. All right, well, now let's not just fully go hating on... 
Was there any statistical analysis? It's a bold word because I felt like I may be misremembering. I didn't think statistics was really a great part of it because I don't remember him necessarily pointing to like a number of discrete stories or instances of, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like he just kind of broadly was like, yeah, in China, this. Sure. Which I think kind of takes away from it being a study, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, there he didn't, like, really have, like, a hypothesis. He was mainly just, like, looking for, like, evidence that would just support his only theory. He was just like, oh, yeah, this, like, confirms everything that I'm saying. I'm just going to cherry pick these things. Yeah. I thought his, like, 2019 article on why they're bisexual was a little bit more interesting. Okay. Basically, he was, like... Uh, basically, he was like, rainbows have both male and female arcs. I guess people call the primary and secondary arcs male and female in some cases. And he was like, well, dragons have connections to weather. So in Europe, they have wings. In China, obviously, they're associated with rainfall. In like Aboriginal uh, groups in Australia and in North America, horned serpents bring water, that kind of thing. So like, there is like the weather connection, basically. He then kind of like talked about like... The connection of dragons with rainbows and also the sexual ambivalence. Uh, He had this one quote that was like, dragons are often portrayed in myth and art as menacing, menacing young women in ways that are vaguely erotic. (laughs) Jesus. What? Yeah, he was like, most dragons would appear to be unambiguously male and they have to be skewered by the lance of Christianity. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm... Hang on. Was I? Yeah. Okay. I've been listening to you. Uh It's possible I spaced out. Did I space out or is that a fully disconnected thing from what you were just saying? Okay. It's because the article is split between like a weather discussion and sexual ambivalence of dragons. (laughs) Trying to cover a lot in one article. That's a lot to cover, man. Like in the article, there is like the split. I see. I see. I see. Okay. 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 (laughs) Then he starts talking about alchemy. Hell yeah. Let's go. Nice. He's like, Carl Jung has written on dragon symbolism in the gold transmutation process. So I guess Jung said on this thing called Mercurius, which is like quicksilver and mercury, but also the spirit or an alchemical spirit of like a thing with dragon heads. And Jung said he consists of the dry and earthy, the moist and viscous, air and fire. He's both good and evil because his united double nature makes him hermaphroditic. Sometimes his body is said to be masculine, his soul feminine, sometimes the reverse. So this like bisexual dragon guy was like, see, Carl Jung said that this alchemical dragon was both male and female, therefore something something rainbows male female. So dragons are in touch with their feminine side. Something like that, I guess. But also (laughs) he said that they were like unambiguously masculine and erotic in that other part. So this is, (laughs) when is this guy writing? This last one came out in 2019. Okay. All right. I'm just trying to decide what drugs I think this person is doing. (laughs) (laughs) The first one was 2000, if that helps. Mm, It doesn't. I don't, I, uh, let's be real. I don't know enough about drugs to guess. (laughs) I feel like none of these attributes were incorporated into the dragons that we see in Skyrim, and I'm a little upset. Uh, I'm sorry, do you not think that Parthenax is male, female, down to bone, <laughs> and uh, unambiguously masculine erotic? I, I can't really wow. say <laughs> definitively. Speaking, speaking of everything being somebody's thing, let's say about Parthenax. <laughs> is that his name, by the way? Did I get it right? Parthenax? Yeah. yeah. Okay, it is Parthenax. Yeah, well, it's yeah. Perthernax, sure. but they, I don't ever hear that second R. Mm. Yeah, this is my brag for the day. I know how to spell Parthenax. Oh, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, that's all I have to say about the bisexual dragons. He, like, says a lot. This is a very long article, and I really kind of got glazed eyes while trying to, like, figure out what the fuck he was talking about, but... Yeah, I mean, fucking fair enough. <laughs> so wild. Yeah, I guess what I have to say is that I think that all of those were kind of interesting, except the rainbow one, which I thought was fucking bizarre as hell. It's a lot. It's a lot. And, uh, that's my expert opinion. Fuck yeah. Nice. Thanks for listening to In My Expert Opinion. Please remember to rate and subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review with your expert opinion on why this podcast is rad. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at expertoppod, or email us at inmyexpertopinion at gmail.com. Later, nerds.